Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and we're going to start today with Rob Bluey. He's going to come on in just a minute, and then we're going to continue with Dr. Alex McFarlane, who's always a delight to have on the show. And in hour two, Jeff Redoran's going to continue his series on In the Beginning. That's the show for today. I hope you can stay for all of it. And if you can't and you miss any of it, you know what to do. I always recommend going to the website, myfaithradio.com. You can go right to my show page and listen to the podcast. As a matter of fact, you should get the app on your phone, download the show so the episodes are always there waiting for you. That makes it the easiest. Rob Louie is the executive editor at The Daily Signal, my Washington, D.C. correspondent. Always glad to have him on. Rob, welcome. Hey, it's good to be with you, Bill. It's a busy day in Washington. We're oh. hours away from the State of the Union, so it's uh, like the Super Bowl in Washington, D.C. <laughs> I, I bet it is. I, I do want to talk about that, but if we can first talk about just the U.K. Ukraine and Russia update, that seems to just be dominating every every news episode. Well, that is the appropriate place to start, and you bet it will uh, dominate the president's speech tonight. There's there's no doubt about that. Uh, it is uh, certainly uh, you know a real travesty of what's, what's going on. Uh, Russia's uh, war of aggression against Ukraine is something that uh, I, I hoped and prayed would never happen, but has come to pass over the course of the last week. Uh, they uh, seem insistent on continuing to have a brutal march uh, through Ukrainian cities and, uh, in many cases, committing war crimes. Uh, This is not an attack, uh, an army uh, attacking another army, but Russia is using its uh, its military tactics to to take many innocent lives. It's it's truly reprehensible what uh, what, uh, the the dictator of Russia, Vladimir Putin, is is attempting to do, and it's raised a lot of people to question whether he's he's mentally stable, because frankly, uh, in the year 2022, I don't think many of us expected something like this to play out before our very eyes. Mm -hmm. Rob, I I don't know if you ever get the, if we ever get the truth, but I know with this uh, parade of tanks that are moving in, Russian tanks moving in towards uh, Kiev, is there uh, any indication that they're, they're strong? Uh, I, I saw a report that maybe they were low on food and fuel and possibly morale was low. It's hard to know what's going on. Well, we, we continue to hear that as well. I don't, I don't have any particular insider information, but yeah. uh, your listeners should know that uh, if one thing is for sure, it's not gone as smoothly as, as Putin uh, w- would like it to. And I think that that's embarrassing for him. Uh, he, this is different uh, than it was in 2014 when, when Russia marched through Crimea and annexed uh, that land, which, uh, which belongs to Ukraine. Uh, the difference is that I think at, at the time, the Ukrainian people were not prepared uh, physically with a, with a military or mentally for, for the, the tactics that Russia was going to employ. They've had eight years uh, to develop um, so much capability uh, with the support of the United States, uh, particularly during the Trump administration when we uh, supplied them Javelin missiles and provided military training. Uh, their their military itself is is much more capable today than it, it ever was. And secondly, 
some of the, the tactics that the Ukrainian people have been able to employ themselves, uh, whether it be online through social media and uh, spread the message that way, or whether it be fighting street to street and, uh, and, and fending off the Russians, I think it is demoralizing, probably for some of the Russian soldiers who expect to, to march in and be able to, to take some of these big cities uh, relatively easily. They have not found that that's the case. Now, you're right. This, uh, this miles-long caravan of tanks is certainly intimidating, and, uh, and that's concerning. I think the other factor here is the, the air superiority. I mean, if Russia is able to continue to, uh, to have control over the airspace uh, and Ukraine is, is running low on, on anti-aircraft missiles, then you know, that, is, uh, that is something that we need to be watching closely. I think that's why so many European countries have stepped up and tried to help out in that regard. Mm-hmm. Rob Louis, my guest, uh, executive editor at The Daily Signal. Rob, how is it that so many European countries have found themselves in a position to be so dependent on an authoritarian country? Yeah, it's uh, including the United States uh, in, term, in terms of the energy uh, consumption uh, that we depend on Russia for. Uh, right. And, and that, that has been a, a big point that uh, maybe we'll hear some changes from President Biden tonight, although I'm not, uh, not going to hold my breath on it. Uh, you'll remember one of the first actions he took when he uh, came into office was to cancel the Keystone XL pipeline. And that pipeline would have supplied uh, oil here that we wouldn't necessarily be as dependent on Russia for. Uh, we are still paying Russia a lot of money each and every day for, for the, the, the energy needs of our own country as well as the Europeans. And so you're right, Europeans more so are dependent on, on Russia for that. A strong United States is the United States that uh, can not only project strength militarily, but also economically. And we're not in a great position, as you and I have talked about week in and week out, when it comes to some of the economic factors uh, that are facing our country, particularly the record high inflation. So, Bill, uh, it's, uh, it's a tough challenge uh, for the president to figure out, but uh, I, I think he was a little bit slow moving uh, with sanctions. We should have done that sooner, maybe to, to prevent and deter uh, Russia from this invasion. Now that they're actually doing it, it's time for us to, to step up and provide the, as much uh, arms as we can uh, to the Ukrainians and, and their allies. And uh, anything else that, um, that, that we're able to do, we, he set a, a firm line in the sand that the troop, U, American troops aren't going to U, Ukraine. U, the Ukrainians uh, seem to be uh, okay on the, on the ground. It's, uh, it's just some of the other uh, military weapons that they need uh, help both right now. Uh, Rob, but if planes were sent, then it's World War III. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Putin, Putin has uh, indicated that uh, he will, there will be severe consequences on anybody who interferes with, uh, with him. But, I mean, he, he, let's face it, he is a bully, and he is somebody who is going to continue to have these, these harsh words and rhetoric. Uh, but at some point, I don't think appeasement is, is the answer. And, and too, too often, I think the Europeans have been willing to do that. You started to see a change taking place over the course of the last week. Even the Germans uh, which have been reluctant uh, to do much militarily, have decided that they're going to, you know, could make their contribution to NATO and uh, and other means. The European Union voted yes to to welcome Ukraine today. So there are are things happening in Europe where which is directly affected by this. One thing to remember is right now uh, Russia borders a limited number of European countries. If they were able to take over Ukraine, I mean that now exposes countries like Poland and Hungary. Uh, directly to to Russia, and uh, I can't imagine that those countries are are going to be uh, be comfortable with that approach. And at the t- same time, that we should be supporting uh, countries like that, 
uh, you've recently had the Biden administration come out and criticize uh, some of those very countries. So now is the time to bring those allies uh, closer together as, in, in the country uh, and, uh, and, and do ever, whatever we can to prevent Putin from continuing this march westward uh, into some other uh, sovereign European countries. Mm-hmm. Rob, let's do a little bit of a, of a COVID update. I think on Friday, the CDC revised its COVID risk formula. So with that change, uh, the pandemic sort of eased going from 90% of the United States in high risk to less than 30%. Now, that's a pretty dramatic change happening awfully close to the State of the Union. Yeah, amazing how it can change so quickly overnight, uh, particularly with a major political speech right on the, 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 uh, the doorstep, Bill. So, yeah, I think that the American people have recognized long ago that so much of the COVID policies are determined by politics and not by science. Uh, this is true for the Trump administration as well. I think looking back in hindsight, we, you know, it's easy to, for us to judge, you and me as commentators, uh, to, to judge uh, what was going on at the time. We obviously didn't have the vaccine at that point. Uh, but there were a lot of decisions that were being made for political reasons, and even more so during the Biden administration. And the fact that he's giving the speech, and then today uh, in schools all across the country, masks are no longer required. And I think New York, uh, another major school system, will, will, says that they can come off tomorrow. Uh, I don't think that there's any coincidence there. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a sad reality that the CDC... Uh, needs to really repair its reputation because it's been damaged pretty significantly during the pandemic as a result of some of its uh, changing uh, rhetoric, changing standards uh, without clear explanation or communication to the American people. Mm-hmm. So, Rob, with the State of the Union tonight, uh, hours away, what time does it start, by the way? The State of the Union begins at, at 9 p.m. Uh, and, and in fact, we should mention that uh, up until just uh, a, a matter of hours ago, uh, the uh, members of Congress were going to have to wear masks to be in the House chamber. They'll no longer need to be required to wear them. Uh, so that is another uh, big significant change that will look different from, uh, say, uh, a year ago. Whoa. And, uh, and so, yeah, we, we, we sure will. We'll see if that, how much uh, handshaking and, and all the other pomp and circumstance that takes place. Uh, it'll be a solemn State of the Union, I think. Uh, it's, uh, it's a difficult address to, to deliver on the same day that we're watching live images uh, coming out of, out of Ukraine of civilians being killed. Um, so the president, I think, will rightly spend a significant portion of his speech uh, talking about that. And I, I expect him to say that the State of our Union is strong, even though uh, clearly uh, a large majority of Americans uh, think otherwise. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought about that this morning when I was uh, getting my day started and I prayed for the president and I prayed for uh, the people in Ukraine and and all of the things happening over there, which you see these news reports and we're really not used to watching uh, these kind of war in real time where we we see these explosions and, and, and hear the sirens coming on. And, and we aren't seeing a lot of, because I'm not watching a lot of news, Rob, but I'm not seeing a lot of dead bodies in the street. No, and I think that that, that is uh, a, a astute observation. I mean, I, I do have uh, the TV on all day. I mean, that's, that's part of my job um, here you know, is to monitor the news. And, I mean, you're right. It is wall-to-wall coverage of, of the Russia's war. And you're not seeing that. Now, maybe sometimes they're uh, shielding us from some of the more sensitive images. But I, I do think that uh, you, know, you see a lot of buildings uh, destroyed, 
uh, fireballs and, and explosions um, in the sky, uh, things of that nature. So, I mean, clearly it is, it is real and it is significant, and we hear about the casualties, uh, but you're right. Um, up until this point, um, unless it's been somebody who has been filming it and posting it on social media, uh, the news coverage has, has, I think, shielded many Americans from some of those images. Mm-hmm. And you consider that to be a good thing? Well, I, I think that you never know who's going to be on the receiving end and watching uh, a broadcast. And so, I mean, yes, as the father of uh, three children, I mean, I don't necessarily know that that's, that's something that I, 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 I'm a, a firm believer that we should be educating our kids uh, about what's going on in the world. Um, but I think that, it, you know, in, in many cases, uh, you know, it, it's right. It, let's face it, Bill, uh, in today's day and age with the social media platforms that exist and the fact that you have so many people in, in Ukraine able to, to communicate, um, you know, people are hearing firsthand about the, the, the casualties. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think that the, the TV networks probably tend to, to show the, the burnt out cars and and the, the destroyed buildings, um, because those images aren't necessarily as sensitive. Yeah. Rob Blue is my guest. He's the executive editor at The Daily Signal. We're going to continue to talk about what's happening in Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, after just a short break. Be right back. executive editor at the daily signal if you have a question or uh, for rob you can certainly text it over to me 877-933-2484 again 877-933-2484 in anticipation of the state of the union tonight rob i'm guessing president biden is going to make mention of his uh, uh supreme court nomination i i certainly think he will yes uh katanji brown jackson is uh the first black woman uh, nominated for the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, the president made the announcement on Friday. Uh, he indicated he wanted to do it during the month of February, which is Black History Month. And uh, she'll now face uh, an equally divided Senate, 50-50, uh, in order to be confirmed. Uh, she was confirmed recently to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals and had three Republicans vote for her. But it's anyone's guess if those same Republicans will um, – will we'll cross the aisle and support her this time. But you can better believe that the president will, will seize this opportunity to, to try to make his, uh, his pitch for her. Uh, we know that uh, the, the appointment of a Supreme Court justice is one of the most important and enduring things that a president can do during uh, his or her tenure. And, uh, and certainly in this case, uh, it's uh, maybe the only uh, appointment that the president will get to make, uh, barring, um, you know, someone perhaps uh, having a surprise retirement or, or passing away. But, uh, yes, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to watch, Bill. And I'll tell you, uh, well, her nomination will not necessarily uh, change the composition of the, the, the right-left split on the court. Uh, she's replacing a liberal in, uh, in Justice Stephen Breyer, uh, she is 51 years old, so she will potentially has the potential to spend upwards of, of 30 or more years uh, on the on the court with this lifetime appointment. Mm-hmm. 
So, Rob, there's a number of cities that I've witnessed uh, throughout the U.S. that are really having a difficult time with um, crime and homelessness and drug use and all kinds of issues. I know Seattle, for example, once a very spectacular city and probably in many ways still is, but uh, they've they've had uh, their share of problems. And I know there was an interesting article at the DailySignal.com written by Douglas Blair about that. Yes, yeah. Well, the whole Daily Signal team was in Orlando, Florida at the Conservative Political Action Conference and interviewed a number of people, including Jason Rance, who uh, is from Seattle and, and is a talk radio host and, and, and shared with us exactly what was going on in that city. It is really shocking to hear uh, I um, I can't even imagine. I, I know that we have it bad in Washington D.C. with the homelessness problem and, and some other issues, but to hear him describe what life in Seattle is like is uh, is certainly not something I would expect uh, to see play out in a U.S. city. And it's in- there are some encouraging signs. Uh, the fact that voters there are rejecting some of the more uh, progressive and extreme policies and, uh, and and trying to elect people who have more sensible approaches uh, to, to to treating this problem and uh, and to cracking down on, on criminals. Uh, but, Bill, they have a long way to go there, and I'm afraid that Seattle's probably not the only place where this is taking place. So, uh, you know, our, our prayers go out to those who are struggling in that city, um, and, and we hope that they can uh, write, write things because it's uh, – it's it's not not good when you have uh, used needles and, and drug use happening uh, pretty openly in in that society. Uh, it's not something that I, I'd want to wish on any any community. Yeah, homelessness is certainly looking quite different today than it did 15 years ago. For example, I mean, right now there's just 10 communities everywhere in in big cities, and it's I don't know. It's just it's uh, it's become. Uh, a bigger problem than I could ever imagine. Well, and, and you know, it's like I said, it's it's something that is present right here in our nation's capital. Uh, yeah. I, I I can't. I, I used to be able to look directly out of my office window and see a homeless encampment uh, across the street in the in the, in the federal parkland uh, that, that that is across the street from the Heritage Foundation. Now they've they've moved in and fenced that off so nobody can actually get in that. And the, but the homeless. Uh, problem hasn't gone away. They've just simply moved to a new location in the city. And so uh, I, I think that, you know, we see this over and over again in, in American cities. And after declaring war on poverty in the 1960s, I think if there's anything we've learned, that that approach to a big government solution is not the answer. And you and I have talked about it uh, in, in past episodes where there are community-based solutions and and oftentimes faith-based and and religious organizations that are stepping up to try to fill that void. And they oftentimes do a much better job of getting people out of that situation of homelessness and and leading them on a better course of life. And I think that that's probably where we need to put more of our our focus and attention. And those of us who who volunteer and try to help out, uh, you know, that's probably a better use than trying to look for some big government answer uh, to this problem, because it's just not working. Yeah. Amen to that, Rob. So another question came in from a listener. It's going to jump back to a previous conversation we had about uh, Russia and Ukraine. And the question is, how specifically does Russian energy and gas affect our economy with this war going on? Yeah, well, it's, uh, I mean, 
the the I'm noticing. I mean, this is all, all anecdotal, so I don't have any hard data here. But I I am no- noticing, and I've seen reports of this that uh, it, the, the price of of energy is going up. Now, this includes gasoline at the, at the pump for your car. This includes the the, the energy bill if you if you're you know have, whether you have natural gas or, or or electricity. I mean, you you name it. I think the the prices are going up. Part of that is obviously the inflation effect. Uh, everything is going up, and we're at a 40-year high for inflation. Uh, so when, when prices are going up 7%, that's a sticker shock for a lot of people, particularly you know, if they're only getting a 3% uh, increase in their salary. I mean, they're, they're, they're feeling the effects of, of that. And, uh, and this is not going to make it any better, uh, and, and particularly it's not going to be any better if uh, the, the president doesn't follow the advice of members of his own party, uh, like Joe Manchin, a senator from West Virginia who was out today uh, calling for the president uh, to, to produce more energy here at home. Uh, I, I, I think it's somewhat laughable that I, I've seen commentators come on and even, even the climate czar, John Kerry, saying, uh, bemoaning the fact that this is not going to be good for, for climate change and that uh, other people say that, you know, long term we need to, you know, or we need to look to renewables and not more oil. And I'm all for having a diverse energy portfolio, but I think we need to be realistic that we're not overnight going to flip the switch and all of a sudden uh, have power from solar and wind and, and other sources. Uh, let's be realistic about that and, and help people now immediately and work towards that in, uh, in a long-term capacity. Mm-hmm. Rob, I know you live in Virginia and your governor, uh, Glenn Youngkin, is doing something to try to dismantle some of the climate change regulations to try to hold down energy costs. Yeah, one of the things that states have, have done are, are for, to form these uh, climate compacts. And, uh, and Governor Youngkin, who's a very business-oriented, uh, economics-focused uh, governor, uh, recognizing that the state uh, has been held back by policies in the past, has decided to pull out of uh, the climate pact uh, in the mid-Atlantic states. And so uh, it's just another example of, I think, our states uh, looking for, for a different direction than, than Washington. Uh, this country, uh, from its very founding, uh, has always uh, championed federalism and letting states uh, take the lead on some of these issues. And so uh, whether you agree or disagree, I, I do hope that the states uh, do take the, the, the lead when it comes to determining policy. Governments at the at the more local level, uh, is, is going to be better serving the, the taxpayers and the constituents. And so I think this is a good example of Governor Youngkin listening to, to voters who t- turned out and, uh, and ended 12 years of Democratic rule in Virginia and put him in office. Mm-hmm. Rob, one last question. How long do you think uh, President Biden's uh, talk and speech is going to go tonight? What's your guess? Oh, my goodness. Well, I don't think it'll be a, a long stem wander like Bill Clinton's was in the 1990s. Right. I, I would say probably close to an hour, uh, if okay. not under. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we uh, we certainly uh, will be following it very closely on The Daily Signal. So if your listeners want to tune in tonight, uh, we'll have live updates throughout the evening and, of course, tomorrow for the full analysis. Nice. So let's say it's an hour, but you take out all the standing ovations and clapping, and then it's about four and a half minutes of content. <laughs> there you go. It's like the, the last uh, minute of a, of a football game, right? right. <laughs> It'll go right. on Thanks, forever. Rob. So. Thanks, Bill. Look, look, yeah, look forward to our next time together. Rob Louie's been my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal. We'll take a little break. When we come back, Dr. Alex McFarland's going to be joining me. I can hardly wait.
I hope your afternoon is going well. It's going to get even better when I bring on Dr. Alex McFarland. He is a regular guest on the show. I always love having him on. He's a Christian apologist, author, evangelist. He is a religion and culture analyst, and he's an advocate for biblical truth. He's preached in over 2,000 churches across North America. So always great to have him on. Alex, welcome. Well, and to that list, you can add that I'm a big fan of Bill Arnold and Faith oh, Radio. Nice. That's yes. awfully nice. Yeah, thank you. So, Alex, I've been kind of inspired lately by people of, of the faith, and I was reading a, a story of William Borden. I don't know if you know who he is. Um, I remember. He, I have that book, actually. Oh, you do, yeah. So, apart from Christ, there's no explanation for such a life was said of him. And he grew up in a very wealthy family in Chicago, born in 1887, uh, he's the kind of guy that uh, went to uh, Yale. He had every opportunity mm-hmm. in the world. Um, he started doing evangelism to the university by the fourth year uh, at the university. This is Yale. They had a thousand out of the total of thirteen hundred Yale students attending Bible studies. <laughs> yeah, isn't that can, amazing? Can you imagine? Yeah. So he graduates and he has a million offers and he decides to uh, be a missionary full time and. He had written in his Bible on three different occasions. Uh, One, he wrote no reserves. Mm -hmm. uh, And the other time he wrote no retreats. And at the end of his life, he wrote no regrets. Wow. Yeah. He he was very famous for that phrase. And, uh, you know, God did a work there out of Yale, of course, in New Haven, Connecticut. And, um, you know, we, we did a conference there in 2004. We took a number of people like Lee Strobel and Josh McDowell, and we did a, a big event there in New Haven. But there was a time there in the late 19th century when God raised up a number of dynamic Christian leaders from out of Yale, and one of, one of whom was William Borden. And I have got a book. Bill, I'm glad you mentioned it. Um, but it, the title may be William Borden of Yale, but it was his biography. And I oh, read wow. it early in my Christian life. It was very, very inspiring. But you look at some of these institutions and you look at the explosion of uh, the Christian influence. You look at the charter, the original charter for Harvard, and they say the purpose of this school is to put Christ at the foundation of our lives. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, there was a a man named William Lyon Phelps that was one of the presidents of Yale. And he, um, in his time, was a very respected voice in American life. And he said as much as people need a college education, even more so they need a biblical education. And so, yeah, you know, it's funny, uh, Bill, I was doing a, a lecture this morning talking about how the biblical worldview had impacted the world. And the Ivy League schools were started by the church. Literacy right. came from out of the church because, you know, why, you know, why uh, literacy? Teaching people to read so they could read the Word of God and uh, find Jesus. Um, do you remember um, William J. Bennett back during the Reagan years? Yes. He had yes. a big, big song book called The Book of Virtues. And I'll never forget, I went to hear him speak, and this is 25 years ago, but he was um, at an auditorium, and 
he gave a lecture about the purpose of education, and he threw this question out: What is the purpose of education? And you know, of course, you know to learn things. Well, it, he had a be- very biblical worldview of education. William J. Bennett. He said the purpose of education is to expand your mind and save your soul. And nowadays, I mean, a lot of people think that Christianity is, you know, blind faith or something like that. But you mentioned how the the Ivy League schools from Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Brown, Cornell, William and Mary, uh, they were all started as Christian schools because the church for centuries was the champion of literacy so that we could not only apprehend truth, but ultimately, personally, know the one who is truth incarnate, and that's Jesus. So, Alex, this begs the question, what's happened? Uh, that's a great question. That That is a great question. I'll tell you, part of what happened, uh, really there were a couple of things that happened, and Francis Schaeffer 50 years ago wrote about this. Uh, Francis Schaeffer, by the way, was a great Christian thinker, kind of a worldview thinker, and he wrote a book called The Great Evangelical Disaster. And part of it, at least in America, um, well, let me go back a little farther even, um, and I know this is going to sound, to a lot of moderns, to talk in terms of centuries and, you know, two, three, four hundred years, that just sounds crazy. But the, the wheels of culture sometimes turn fairly slowly. And and we're where we are in the West, Bill, because Satan has issued a counteroffensive against several major milestones over the last half millennia. Okay, there was the Protestant Reformation, Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, Menno, Simons, the gospel spread throughout Europe. William Bradford and the pilgrims came over. They brought Christianity to the New World. The colonies were steeped in Christianity. Great leaders like George Whitfield and the Wesleys evangelized the fledgling young country called America. So you've got Europe on fire for Christ and this new nation, America, 244 years ago, built absolutely on Christianity. So the fulfillment of the Great Commission, or at least great strides, in evangelizing the world, that was, you know, in high gear. Well, Satan is not going to give up without a fight. So out of Germany in 1790, uh, Satan raised up uh, liberalism, German theological liberalism, denied the Bible. Then out of England, raised up Darwin, denied God the Creator. By the early 20th century, we're seeing the word postmodern. And here, here are three big dominoes that begin to fall. And then I'm going to tell you a fourth. Okay, God is not the communicator. Liberalism attacked the Bible. God is not the creator. Evolution attacked uh, God. Uh, You know, if God's not part of our past, God's not part of our future. If God wasn't our creator, God is not our judge. And then postmodernism and moral relativism attack God as the foundation of, of righteousness. So by the mid-20th century, you've got um, Europe and America that, you know, if we don't really believe in God, we don't really believe in the Bible, we don't really believe in sin and the need for salvation, and by the sexual revolution of the 60s, no-fault divorce of 1970 and 71, 
we really don't believe that there are any moral boundaries, well, you raise four or five generations of kids to believe that God, truth, morality, and my personal accountability no longer matter, and you wake up one day and you're in 2022, and it's a world of chaos. Mm. Uh, uh-huh. Now, what, what Shaver, I'll say this, and then forgive me for kind of being on a rant here, but um, in 1925 was the Scopes trial in Tennessee, and in the aftermath of the Scopes trial, there was a retreat, and among the conservative Bible-believing churches in America, not all, but many, felt like, well, you know, evil men will wax worse and worse. Christ is going to come any moment, so let's just pull away. Uh, Let's back away from education. Let's back away from the arts. Uh, Certainly we should back away from government because our home is in heaven. And, Bill, there was almost this mindset, and, and it's a fallacy called a false dichotomy. Either you're living for Jesus or you're living for the world. Well, actually, we can do both. We can live for Jesus. We know our home is in heaven, but we can also be an influence in this world. And what Schaefer meant when he talked about the great evangelical disaster, we've left the halls of government, the halls of academia, and the arts to the heathen. And, you know... uh, Larry Norman, you and I are old enough to probably remember, you know, some of the early parts of contemporary Christian music. Larry Norman was a a pioneer, and he said, why should the devil have all the good music, you know? And so uh, one of the ways that we reach people, you know, through the arts, art, literature, and music, but um, Bill, I, I know Christ is coming back, and I know 1 John 2, 15 through 17, love not the world because the world's passing away. But look, until we get to heaven, we are to be salt and light, and we are to invest because we can only share the gospel if we have a stable, free, orderly society. Um, so I want to encourage people, care for America, pray for America, run for office, be an influence. Yes, I know our, home, our true home is heaven. But until we get there, like Augustine said, we, till we're in the city of God, we have an obligation to the city of man. Mm. I love this uh, from William Borden's uh, article that I was reading that he said that the Borden's spiritual strength came from his walk with the Lord, his prayer life, and his commitment to the inerrancy and inspiration of the Scriptures. His was a time when it had become popular to doubt the Bible. Even seminary students and professors were joining with the higher criticism movement, which suggested that the Bible may contain some beautiful thoughts, but it was surely filled with errors and myths and was not to be taken too literally or seriously. Borden would have none of this. In a letter, Borden wrote, A broad spirit of tolerance is insisted upon, especially in matters of religion, and any and all are branded as narrow who dare think otherwise. The word narrow is one of Satan's deadliest weapons, it seems to me, for most people would apparently rather be shot than be called narrow. Oh, wow. He nailed it. And and a century later, aren't we still there? 
It's hard yeah. to believe that this is, uh, you know, that he was living in a time when it was popular to doubt the Bible. Oh, wait a minute, that was 120 years ago, and now we're, we're which fast forward to today. And once yeah. again, it's still popular to doubt the Bible. Well, did you see just, uh, I guess it was maybe Friday or Saturday, um, I won't name the person, I won't name the company, but a figurehead of one of the biggest Christian music publishing entities, uh, this leader of this contemporary Christian music publishing company, abandoned Christianity, and he was in the news last week. He said he's convinced the Bible has errors. And he said, quote, Christianity just no longer works for me. Mm-hmm. Isn't that something? That's and, amazing. Well, it is because, you know, uh, Christianity, we don't believe Christianity is true because by some standard it, quote, works for me. Christianity is true because the Lord rose from the dead and there's an empty tomb and the resurrection of Jesus proves the man and the message, who Jesus is, the Son of God, what he taught, that he would pay for our sins. And so um, l let me say that uh, we, we don't evaluate the relevancy of Christianity based on whether or not we think, quote, it works for us. Um, that's kind of pragmatism. You know, G.K. Chesterton, he, he fascinatingly said, Man's most pragmatic need is to not be a pragmatist, because pragmatism <laughs> says, uh, you know, it, I'll do this if I see, you know, the bottom line works out in my favor. You know, like William Borden of Yale, we are to follow Jesus because it's the right thing to do. We, uh, you know, Paul said we are to live for him, which is our reasonable service. And so we've got to... Um, trust the word of god over the word of man we need to understand that we're we're called to be servants not just recipients and the, the call of the disciple like bonhoeffer so eloquently said when christ calls a man he bids him come and die mm. you know goodness um do you, bill do you ever think about like if if say c.s lewis or bonhoeffer came back today when people will, they'll, they'll leave a church because, you know, they say, well, I'm, I'm just not being fed. Or, I, I don't like the music, so I don't go to church anymore. What, what do you think Bonhoeffer would say to that? Well, I would think Bonhoeffer would say, you are completely missing the point. Yeah. That you show up to serve and to worship the, the, the God of the universe who will one day take you out of this life into his timeless kingdom. There's nothing to do with the quality of coffee at the coffee bar or or the carpet or the choir. Exactly. Now, it's wonderful when there's a great choir. It's wonderful when the sermons resonate in the core of our soul and there's coffee and a parking place near the door. That's that's great. <laughs> but you know, I think yeah. about the people, the centuries of disciples that were willing to joyfully die for Jesus in indigence, and they it, it would never dawn uh, David Brainerd or you know uh, you know um, Lottie Moon or Gladys Aylward or D. L. Moody. It would never dawn on them to say, mm -hmm. you know, bless me or I'm out of here. <laughs> right. 
Let's continue this, Alex, with just Heroes of the Faith when we come back. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. You can go to alexmcfarland.com. We'll be right back. talking about heroes of the faith we had chatted about William Borden and I always um, am reminded of a person who like William Borden who was born into a very wealthy family one of the wealthiest families of Chicago and he was a millionaire in the days when there were very few ever reached that place billionaires didn't exist and it was quite clear that he had surrendered his life and everything he did to the glory of um, God and it said about him, no one would have known from Borden's life and talk that he was a millionaire, but no one could have helped knowing that he was a Christian. And mm. when I um, think of him being at the at the uh, uh, Yale Hope Mission uh, with his arm around a bum, you think, well, here's a guy who is, like he said in his uh, Bible, he wrote in the margin, over the course of his lifetime, no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. And another great person of uh, inspiration, Alex, is Clarence Jordan. Of course, he founded the Koinonia Farm in, in America's Georgia, and that went on to uh, birth Habitat for Humanity. Wow. Wow. Yeah. No, I was not aware of that. Yeah. So this is during the Civil Rights Movement of the 50s and 60s. There were attacks from the Ku Klux Klan, and... One night, in, I think in 1954, the KKK burned down every one of Jordan's uh, buildings except his house. And during the raid, uh, Jordan recognized uh, the voice of one of the local newspaper reporters. And the next day, the reporter shows up at the farm to cover the story. Mm. He right. said he heard about the tragedy and you know, was wondering you know, when the farm was going to close. And Jordan was out working, and he had a, a degree in agriculture and a doctorate in New Testament Greek. <laughs> he didn't uh, uh, wow. answer the reporter. He said, you, yeah. don't, you don't get it, do you? You don't understand us Christians. We're not a, what we are is not about success but faithfulness. Amen. Amen. Yeah. yeah. Uh, wow, that, that, that is so powerful. And uh, you know what? We've got to have the, the big picture in view. Uh, because right now, I mean, my goodness, with the woke movement and, uh, you know, in 20, 2015, our nation, well, well, really a couple of dates that will live in infamy, you know, would be 1973, Roe versus Wade, and then 2015, gay marriage. Um, we begin to radically, decisively cut ourselves loose from our moral compass as a nation. America makes sense because it was founded on this stable context called the Judeo-Christian worldview. And you and I have talked about it many times, natural law, um, moral truth, the Ten Commandments. Now, Madeleine Murray O'Hare, in the 1960s, when she founded American Atheists, and she wanted prayer taken out of schools and the Ten Commandments removed, what a lot of people, uh, a very, very, very scant few people said, um, but most people didn't realize was this, that the 
First Amendment, when it says that Congress will make no law regarding this, the establishment of religion, what the militant secularists did, the, the John Deweys and the American Humanists and Madeleine Murray O'Hare, they really pulled a fast one because the non-establishment clause, which really meant that the government would not start a national Christian denomination, but it was construed to mean the abolition of moral awareness. Now, whenever, uh, Bill, whenever I'll, I'll be somewhere and they'll ask me about, you know, my beliefs about uh, gay marriage or, or transgender rights or parents' rights or even, you know, pro-life. Uh, and I, I mention, you know, well, all people are endowed by their creator with inalienable rights and rights come from God. They'll say, keep your religion out of this. By the way, don't you know, Alex, you of all people ought to know that the First Amendment prohibits invoking religion. See, here's what we need to be able to tell people, and we need to be in this for the long haul, that religion and morality are two different things. You don't want to hear about Jesus? Fair enough. We're not going to talk about Jesus. But that doesn't mean the abolition or the suppression of moral truth. Now, regarding uh, things like um, uh, the, the issue of, of homosexuality and gay marriage, can consenting adults engage in homosexual activity? Of course. But we have no obligation to legalize gay marriage or use tax money to pay for gender reassignment surgery or anything like that because what gave us a free, stable, prosperous America were the precepts of natural law. Now, Bill, July 5th, 1926, on the 150th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence, our 30th president, Calvin Coolidge, gave a great speech. And, and I want to tell you this because, um, you know, we've got people like um, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez and the critical race theory uh, people and the people that are calling out about systemic racism. And they'll say, America's got to change. We've got to be progressive. We need a guaranteed universal income. We need, um, you know, to uh, you know, waive all college tuition. There are a lot of people calling us further away still from moral truth, and they're called progressives. But their ideas are actually regressive. Now, Calvin Coolidge gave a speech, and next to the Gettysburg Address, it's probably the greatest commentary ever on our Declaration and Constitution. Coolidge, July 5th, 1926, said this. He said, there's a certain finality to our Declaration Constitution because we are based on some ultimate ideas. Man is created by God. Every human has worth and value. Every human has rights within common sense, moral conscience, and what we call the Ten Commandments. And Coolidge, and it was very prescient, this is almost a century ago, he said if we change any of our moral convictions, we're not moving forward, but backward. He said, let no one ever tell you that to deviate from our moral code is progressive. It's, it's not more modern, it's more ancient. 
He said, look, we're at the top of the mountain morally. Any way we move, if we move, it will not be anywhere up but down. And Coolidge said, when you're at the top of a mountain, the only way to move is to go down. Now, the reason I'm telling you all that is even the atheist Christopher Hitchens, with whom I debated and with whom I corresponded, Hitchens was an atheist, and he passionately agreed and argued. He said, uh, he was pro-life, by the way. He said, the unborn baby is a human being. To say otherwise is nonsense. He said, as a human being, that child has all of the rights promised by the Constitution. He said, and even the expectant mother alone can't have the only say about the future of the baby. He said, because all humans have these inherent rights, uh, we have to have more than one person passing the judgment call. So whether it's abortion, whether it's gay marriage, look, if we want what we had, which was a free, stable, prosperous America, we have to tolerate and really defend what gave us what we had, and that was the Judeo-Christian worldview. Yeah. Alex, such thoughtful analysis. Thank you so much for being on the show. Great to be with you. Well, sorry to be so wordy and long, but thank you, no, Bill, for your no. time. Yeah. AlexMcFarland.com is a place to go find him. We'll take a break, and we come back in the beginning, part three. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.